You can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, I feel like introductions are probably in order. My name's Brandon Williams. Hadn't seen y'all in a while, but really glad to be back. Um, Believe it or not, I have not just been hanging out at the beach for the last six weeks. Uh, That would have been nice too, but I've had a a really good opportunity to go and uh, preach at some of the other Connection churches. And I've been in Millen a lot, Uh, been up to Dublin, spent some time with Buck up there, Um, was able to go preach in Vidalia. Uh, And so being able to go and do this, give um, some of these other pastors a break. Um, We're fortunate here to have a lot of folks who who are able to open the word and and bring this word to us. Um, Not all of the Connection churches are that way, and so it's good to be able to give them a break. And and honestly, for me personally, it's good to see the faithfulness of God and what he's done in in 12 and a half years. Um, So many awesome people that are in Millen and Savannah and Vidalia and Dublin, Athens, haven't met them yet, but... Here's so many great things even from up there. It means a lot to me because I have family now who are in Athens at school, and I know that Dustin Phillips and that Connection Church in Athens is there, and they've been there. I think my niece took like 13 people the first Sunday uh, to Athens uh, Connection, a church in Athens. And so um, it, it was awesome to be able to see that and just be reminded of how good God really is um, to use knuckleheads to do things, Right. Anybody identify with that, knuckleheads? And so that's really cool. Um, Today, if you will, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. We're in this series about grace. And I'll be honest with you. In 1 Peter, uh, he makes this this statement about how we are to steward uh, the gifts we've received through God's manifold grace. And God's grace is so vast, we will never fully even grasp it. Um, but it's going to be fun to talk about it for the next few weeks, right? And, and just to see a little bit more clearly what God's grace is, how God's grace operates, how God himself moves through his grace. And so we're going to be doing that today through John chapter 1. Um, I want to start out by just reading John 1, 1 through, let's go through 17. It says this, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, so he's personifying God's Word. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and listen to this, the darkness has not overcome it. Isn't that awesome? When we think about the world we live in and there seems to be so much darkness around us and yet the darkness has not overcome the light. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, speaking of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, now the light is personified. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Literally, He became flesh and tabernacled among us. He's going back to the Old Testament where the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was this picture of God's presence with His people. He's saying, look, what came and dwelt with us is so much better than a tabernacle or a temple or a tent of meeting. God, the flesh, came and tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, listen to this, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And listen to this, verse 16 and 17. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I want to start this morning with what I'm pretty sure is a hypothetical question. Just kind of a, let's, let's, just for giggles, let's talk about this. But what would you do if today... Somehow, instantly, in your bank account, there was a billion dollars. Other than quit work tomorrow, what would you do, right? What would you do? You, 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 I know there's something coming to mind, right? There's something you think about. Just say you played the lottery. I know none of you do, right? Let's just say, for giggles, somebody decided to play the lottery, and you won you know, $350 million, what would you do with it? And this is not like a question to make you feel guilty, like I'd go buy a house, sinner! I'm not saying that. I'm saying, this is what I'm saying. There is something you would do with that money. Here's what I, I don't know exactly what you would do with it, but I'm pretty sure you wouldn't go hungry tomorrow. You would have food, right? I'm pretty sure you wouldn't sleep you know, out somewhere on the street, you have a roof over your head. There are things that you would have. And, and the reason I say this is because if you had that type of riches, if you had that type of money, the thing I'm pretty sure of is that you wouldn't live like a beggar. The thing I'm pretty sure of is you wouldn't live starving, hungry, poor. And yet here's the problem I see for us as Christians. The Bible tells us that we are a royal priesthood, that we are God's children, that we have been brought to life, that we have the life of Christ in us. And yet for most of us, Instead of living like we are alive, we live as though we are still dead. Instead of living as though we've been accepted, we're living as though we are still working for acceptance. Instead of living as though we are free, we still oftentimes live as though we are bound. Instead of living as God's children, we live as though we are beggars at his table. And that is not the case. And today what I want you to 
here, what I want you to understand is this, that right here, right now, as you sit here today, when you leave this place today, when you wake up tomorrow, as you go through your week, I want you to understand this, that today grace reigns so you can come to life. Grace reigns so you can come to life, so you can live. Grace reigns. And I want you to see this. I want you to understand this. I want you to be able to grab hold of this. I want to grab hold of this. I want to live in this more. I want to walk in all that Christ has for me. Not, not this. And when I say all that about the wealth, and all, I'm not talking about this health and wealth gospel. What I'm talking about is the wealth of God's presence and his purpose, his power in our life. I want us to walk in this, understand this, get this to a greater extent. The Bible tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John in this is thinking back to Genesis when God began to create and he began to speak. And he's saying Jesus was there the whole time, the Word, the light. All of these things are referring back to Christ. He's saying Jesus was there the whole time. And he goes on in verse 14, and he tells us this. He says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is huge. And he said when he made his dwelling among us, he came in the flesh, and he was full of grace, and he was full of truth. Now think about what this means for the Word to become flesh. I want you to grasp this, that for hundreds of years, God had been telling people, what he's like. There's different levels of revelation that God gives of himself. We know from Romans 1.20 that when we walk outside and we see creation and we just see uh, even at night the stars and the heavens, we look at all of that and we, we know from that that God exists. In Romans 1.20 says it's very clear that God, even his divine attributes, his, his power is evident through creation. So there's a revelation of God that exists to all people if we just take notice of creation around us. But then God comes to his people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, the Jewish people, and he begins to reveal more of himself gradually through the Old Testament to them, um, through his word, through promises, through the covenants, these agreements he made with his people. He begins to reveal himself more and more and more. Um, even through the law, he's revealing more of himself. He's revealing his righteousness. He's given them his word, the prophets, the law, all of these things, describing and showing them what kind of God he is, who he is, gracious and merciful, just, righteous. All of these things are described to us in the Old Testament. And so we see this. We can begin to understand who God is. But when Jesus comes on the scene, it's God's most specific, direct revelation that he is giving to mankind. He is literally God in the flesh. He comes, uh, Hebrews 1.3 says, as the exact representation, the full expression of God, that we can look at Jesus and know who God is. It's as if God said, I've been trying to tell you through creation. I've been trying to tell you through my prophets, through my word, through the law, through everything. But I know you still can't grasp it. So here's the final, the greatest revelation of who I am. It's my son whom I'm sending. And in him, you can see the fullness of who I am, God, and who you were intended to be, man. And it's the fullness of his revelation. See, think about how this works. What if I came to you and I said, look, 
I want you to make a ball. I want you to make a ball. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to be able to picture this ball. I want you to be able to understand this ball. I want you to be able to know how this ball is created. What's that? It's core even. So start with the core. Take a small ball of cork. And I want you to encase it in two really thin layers of rubber. Then I want you to take 369 yards of yarn. And I want you to wrap it around that cork and rubber core. I want 121 yards of that yarn to be a bluish gray wool of yarn. Then I want 45 yards of that yarn to be a white wool yarn. Then I want 53 yards of that yarn to be blue and gray again. And then finally, I want 150 of that yarns wrapped tightly around this core to be made of polyester and cotton, and it'll be a white thread. Then this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that ball that is so wrapped tight with all of this yarn, and I want you to coat it with some rubber cement so that it holds. And then I want you to take two pieces of cowhide, and I want you to cover that ball, and I want you to sew those two pieces of cowhide together with exactly 88 inches of red cotton thread to create exactly 216 raised stitches. And when you're done with this, it needs to weigh exactly between five and five and a quarter ounces. And it needs to be nine to nine and a quarter inches in circumference. Now go make this ball. Good luck. Right? What did I just describe? A baseball. But when you got done, do you think it would look like this? Not a chance in the world, right? Not a chance in the world. But did I give a pretty good description of what a baseball should look like, how it should be made? It was very detailed. And even if I were to give you like a shadowy glimpse of it, you still wouldn't fully understand it until you saw it and you touched it and you felt it and you could really look at it and begin to take it apart and understand it. And what I want you to see is happening here in John 1 is John is saying, look, God loves us so much. He, he's been revealing himself to us through all of these years. But, but here's the thing. We couldn't really grasp the fullness of it. So what happened? Jesus came full of grace. From his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And this truth revealed the fullness of who God is so we could look at God and we could, or look at Jesus and we could see the fullness of God. We could look at Jesus and we see the fullness of man. And so we begin to see this. He uses these words, grace and truth. And Jesus is the truth, the truth of who God is, a full revelation of this. This word that had been being described to us has now become flesh. Jesus is the true life. And isn't it awesome that we can look at Jesus and see who God is? Isn't it awesome that we can look at Jesus and see who we were created to be? But here's the thing. John says in John 1, down in verse 17, he says, the law was given through Moses. The law was given through Moses. But what did the law do? 
Go to Romans chapter 5 now. Romans chapter 5. We're going to read verse 20. Romans 5 verse 20. It says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Let's stop right there. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. So when God is revealing himself to us, he reveals himself through his word, through the prophets, through the law. He's showing us. He's saying, look, even though you couldn't fully grasp, listen to this, even though you couldn't fully grasp who God is, I gave you the law. It, begin, it describes my righteousness. It describes what you would have to do to be righteous, how you would need to live perfectly in these laws. And he says, this is who I am, describing this to us. But what does the Bible say happened the more God began to describe himself? What increased? Sin. Now, did people get worse? Probably to some degree. But you know what it really did? It showed us how sinful we really are. It showed us how sinful we really are. We can read scripture and we know this. The law was never intended to save. The law was perfect. It, it is a revelation of God's righteousness and who he is, right? And so we understand this. The law is perfect. The problem is in our flesh. We can't keep it. And so when the law came, what it did was it became this like plumb line to show us just how crooked we really are. Now think about this because here's where I want you to See this. Now, if the law gave us sort of a shadowy vision of who God is because we couldn't quite wrap our mind around it, like that description of a baseball, just like when I played, right? <laughs> but when, when the law, which was just sort of this shadowy, like we see it. I'll drop it again. Let me put it in my pocket. Thank you, Miss Pat. So we see this. And the thing is that if the law that was this description, much like the description of a baseball I gave, and we all agree, like, if we just had that description, we probably would not picture a real baseball, right? So think about this. What happens when Jesus comes on the scene and he is the perfect revelation of God? And now we can look at Jesus, the truth, and begin to understand this is what God is really like. We see it in the fullness, his perfection. And here's the thing, that standard of the law, who God is, what he's like, not only who God is, but what we were intended to be in Christ, that standard becomes really, really clear. If the law brought condemnation, how much more should this full revelation of God in Christ bring condemnation? Does that make sense? Like if the law is here and I'm looking at the law and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't fit that. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to walk around with me. Like if Jesus just drove down Highway 301 with me, I would know quickly, like I am not like him. Truck pulls out in front of me. I'm like, ah, Jesus be like, right?
because we're not like him. And that becomes so much more clear when we look at him. And so if the law brought condemnation because of its revelation of righteousness, how much more should the birth of God's son, who is God in the flesh, the word made flesh, the law embodied, how much more condemnation should that have brought? Right? But see, that's not the whole picture. And too often as Christians, we stop there. We stop in condemnation. We stop in this place that I'm not like him. Oh, well, I suck. Try hard, right? But the reality of it is the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel says that he was full of grace and truth. See, that is huge. He is fully truth, but guess what? Part of that truth is that he's fully grace. And so, the Bible is able to tell us that we've received grace upon grace because we know from John 3.17 this, that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save it. And so he came full of grace and truth, so much so that John could say we've received grace upon grace. He's saying, look, God showed us grace through the law and the prophets. Even in that, there was grace. God is a God of grace. But understand this, that on top of that grace, we've received more grace, abundant grace, grace that overflows. And so what we need to see is that this grace that we're talking about. It is this unconditional love, this unmerited favor of God that he's placed upon us so that he works in our life to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So that when Jesus comes into the world, John 1 tells us this, that he was light. He was the light of the world. But what does light do? It exposes. It shows like it shows all our flaws. Like you can be standing in the mirror, looking in the mirror in your bathroom, and the light's off. I look pretty good today. Then you flip it on, and you're like, oh, my gosh, right? Side note, I was talking with somebody the other day, and I told them, you got to talk about age. I said, yeah, I know, man. I said, I look pretty good for 65, don't I? They're like, you ain't 65. I'm like, no, I'm 45. I look like crap for 45, but for 65, I look pretty good. <laughs> right? And so if you're in the dark, you, look, you can look good, and then you flip it on, you got zits. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Like, it exposes. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. So when Jesus comes in and he begins to shine, one, he shows the standard as the picture of God and what we were intended to be. But the Bible also says that Jesus is the judge, that he is the one who the Father has entrusted all judgment to. And so now Jesus is the standard and he's there and he's like, look at me, I'm the one that you are supposed to be like. Look at me, I'm the God who you're supposed to live up to. And then he goes, and oh, by the way, I'm also the judge. Now, how uppity could you get real quick with that, right? Like, I'm the judge, and you don't measure up. But here's the crazy part of this, y'all. Not only was Jesus the standard, and not only would Jesus be the judge at the end days, the last days, but understand this, that Jesus was also the penalty for what was lacking. 
And so we see this incredible grace poured out over us. This incredible unconditional love, this unmerited favor, this fact that God loves us so much and he's put so much favor on our life that he will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. How incredible is that? And sometimes we don't see it as incredible because we don't realize just exactly how big the gap is between us and God. But can we be honest for a moment? This morning, I was on the way to church. It was about 6.40, I guess, 6.30, 6.45. And I'm coming down the road, and I look over to my left, and there's a red Tahoe that had obviously flipped several times. And so... There's one guy standing over on the side of the road on his phone. I could tell he wasn't the one in the wreck. He had his car right there. He's on the phone. So I pull over. Um, I, I won't go into the whole story. It's, it's, it actually ended up being kind of funny, um, as funny as I guess a car flipping over several times can be. But it, it ended up being where I get to the car, and I could tell that it had been there a while. I knew, like, the wreck didn't just happen. But then there's this thought of, is somebody still in there, right? Is somebody still in there? And I'll be honest with you, the guy that was on the phone, he's calling 911. I'm the only one there other than him. And I'm like, I got to look. But you know what? I did not want to look. I, everything in me, I was like, I do not want to go look in the windows of this car. It's laying on his side, the, 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 the driver window, the windshield was cracked and busted so much that it was open. I knew I couldn't really get up over and see down in, but I could look through where the windshield was. And I'm like, I don't want to look. I don't want to look. Why didn't I want to look? Because I was scared of what I might find. I was scared of what I wanted, what I might find, right? What I might see. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we begin to think about really looking inside ourselves, is anybody else scared of what you'll see? Is anybody else a little scared of what you'll see? Can we admit just for a minute, just for a little while this morning, not to rain on our parade, but can we admit this morning that there is a lot, and I mean a lot of sin in this room right now? Both past, present, and future. Can we just admit that? Can we admit this morning that there's probably a little bit of greed in the room? Can we admit this morning that there's probably some bitterness some people who use their mouth to slander, some foul-mouthed people, some people who have a lot of envy, a lot of jealousy. How about some people that gossip? I know none of y'all would do that, right? How about some foolishness, just doing stupid things? How about some manipulators? You, you don't mind using people as a pawn to get what you want. How about some liars? Some of us have lied so much it don't even bother our conscience anymore. How about some deceivers? You don't mind deceiving somebody if it benefits you. How about adulterers? Any adulterers in the room? Well, I've never committed adultery. Yeah, have you lusted? Because Jesus said real clearly, it's not just about the physical action, it's about what's in your heart. Anybody lusted this week? How about if we were to be able to scan your brain and put up on the screen the thoughts you've had even just this morning? But murder. Well, I've never murdered anybody. You ever hated anybody? How about sexual immorality, theft, idol worshipers? I don't mean worshiping trinkets. What I mean is people who worship things other than the one true God, that other things take priority. 
How about abusive people? How about drunkenness? How about arrogance and pride? What about strife and conflict? We just allow strife and conflict to continue to exist in our relationships, even those that are the most close to us. What about selfish ambition that we'll do whatever we have to do, even running over other people to get to the place we want to get to? How about we keep going? This is fun, right? What if we're honest with our shortcomings, right? What if we're honest in the fact that we've all experienced failure, that we failed in some way in our marriages, that we failed in some way in our parenting, that we failed in some way in our jobs. Many of us, maybe we've had businesses that didn't make it. We failed. We seemingly failed as business owners. What if we admitted we failed in our struggle with sin, with addiction? What about our failures in school, in athletics, in academics, etc.? What if we began to just pour out all of our failures in life? How would that feel? Let's keep pressing on. What if we really realized that the opposite of every sin is the one or the ones who've been wounded by it? Heart wounds, mental wounds, emotional wounds. And we begin to realize this. And we come to this place where it makes us feel like Isaiah. Woe is me, Lord. I'm coming undone. Woe is me. And if we hear all this and we kind of go, man, we still haven't grasped it. Woe is me. Because I'm not like him. I am not as I was intended to be. And I want to be real honest with you guys today. A lot of those things describe me. A lot of those things describe me. I cannot tell you the number of days that on Saturday I felt like this. There is no way I can get on that stage tomorrow and open God's word and proclaim it because I'm not like it. And you know what? The Lord spoke to me one day and it helped me. He said, you've got to always understand this, Brandon. The message is always going to be greater than the messenger. The message is always going to be greater than the messenger. But I still struggle with that. I'm not perfect, man. So many things, golly. So many times I get angry, even over stupid little things. I took um, two of my boys fishing uh, last week and I get in the boat and I don't know if, if y'all's kids are like this my kids tear up everything right they tear up everything and, and even yesterday we're at a ball game and Reed's sitting in a chair and the chair's got one of those little cup holders on the side with a little net right there that holds it and so he's just jamming his hand down in the cup holder you know what he does right through he holds his hand up he's like look dad tears up everything we get in the boat and I go to pull the cord back to let the trolling motor down. Just a little old pond boat. I go let the trolling motor down uh, to pull the cord. Guess what? There ain't no cord. My two oldest boys had used it the last time. I'm like, what the heck, guys? 
What happened to the cord? We just pulled it. I'm like, oh, like, I've been using this thing for years, and that cord did not break, right? Then later in the week, I take my, my young one, Reed, I take him fishing. We're going to the pond. We get to the pond, pulling through the gate at the pond. And I look in the side mirror, and I see the tire on the trailer. And this is no joke. It's rolling like this. I'm like, what the heck? Right? I back it in. I'm like, we'll just fish. I'll figure it out later. Back it into the, the, the pond. We go fishing, come back. I pull it out. It's literally rolling on its side. It's barely on the axle. Later, I'm talking to one of my boys. He's like, well, I hope we didn't do that when we took it last time. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you did. <laughs> and y'all, like, I wish I could say in those moments that I was like this dad that's full of grace. And I'm like, son, in life, you're going to make mistakes. <laughs> but I want to give you this image of a perfect father because I want you to know your heavenly father. And I'm going to show you grace. And watch this, son. I'm going to make it all better. No, I lost my mind. I'm like, my gosh. Can y'all not use anything without tearing it up? Everything y'all touch, you break it. Feel like all I do is go through life fixing stuff y'all tear up. My goodness. But what does my heavenly father do for me? <laughs> He just goes through my life fixing all kinds of stuff that I tear up, right? And I stand here today before you, a very imperfect person. Very imperfect. I'm just as easily enticed by greed and bitterness and arrogance and pride and lust and all these other things as anybody else. And I realize this, and it tears me apart sometimes because I want to be good. I want to be right. I want to be a perfect example for my children. One of them sitting behind the camera, don't look, he'll kill me. He's going to be embarrassed. I want to be a perfect example, but you know what? I'm not. So how do I continue on? How do we continue on? How do we how do we come to life in spite of ourselves? The way we come to life is because the reality for us today, right now, right where we sit, is that even in our sin, if we are in Christ right now, grace reigns. God's unconditional love, his unmerited favor, him doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, grace reigns. Listen to Romans 5, the rest of these two verses. Let's just read the whole thing. It's two verses. The law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns. Did you hear that? So also grace might reign through righteousness. Through whose righteousness? The righteousness of Christ. 
where sin abounded, when Jesus comes on the scene and everybody that was around him is like, something's different about this guy. The lights in the world and the standard increased and we even recognize our sin more as we look into the word and we see who Jesus is. And sin increased, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, who knew a thing or two about grace, says where sin increased, even because of the law, even because of the perfect righteous standard of God, he says, understand this, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. God's work on your behalf increased all the more. Understand this. Understand that God's unmerited favor is unconditional love for us, did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus, the life that he lived perfectly, but Jesus took our sin to the cross. God's unconditional love, his unmerited favor. He was willing that his one and only son would come and all of those sins and shortcomings and failures and wounds and hurts would be placed on Jesus, that he would be beaten, that he would be crucified, that he would die so that we could be healed, so that we could be forgiven, so we could be made whole, so that grace could reign in our life and we could come to life. The Bible even talks about we're spiritually dead until faith comes in Jesus and then we can come to life. So Jesus took all of that sin to the cross and now Jesus gives us the power and confidence to overcome our failures and start again through the Holy Spirit. There are people in this room today that you are holding back because of things that happened a long time ago. But understand this, that God's grace will work in our life to such magnitude that we not only can be forgiven, but we can forgive ourselves. And the Spirit empowers us now to make a new start. Jesus gives us healing. If we just reach out. I think about the woman with the issue of blood and there's this huge crowd around Jesus and that she's pushing through and she's been sick for like 12 years. She spent all her money on doctors. She's just pushing through, pushing through, pushing through and she just reaches out and touches his cloak and she's made well. Jesus turns around and he's like, who touched me? They're like, what are you talking about? There's a bunch of people touching. He's like, no, power left me. And he sees this woman and she's scared because she's like, what's he gonna do? And then he just forgives her, heals her. Made well just by reaching out and touching Jesus. Grace reigns. And listen, listen to me, y'all. Because grace reigns, we see this, that God is greater than man, right? That grace is greater than sin. And that life, the life in Christ is greater than death. It has been overcome. I'm not talking about just when you take your last physical breath. I mean the spiritual death you've lived in from so much of your life and that many of us still walk in because we don't understand the truth. You remember at the very beginning, I said, we're going to live and preach and, and, and go through life like this word is true. Well, guess what? When you come to faith, you come to life because you come to the life giver. The last scripture I want us to look at is Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. 
verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living, alive, and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. It says everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He's not mincing words. He's like, we will all stand before and understand God's word, his perfect word, even though what was revealed in Christ, that will be the standard for which we are judged. And he says, therefore, Therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended, he's speaking of Jesus who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. He says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. They were under persecution. They were under all these things. He's saying, don't you dare back away from this. Don't you dare back up. Don't you dare move away from this faith that we profess. He says, for we do not have a high priest. Listen, 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 listen. A high priest who is unable to empathize or sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Understand this, guys. Jesus was tempted in ways we can't imagine. Think about this. You and I, we'll cave pretty quick. Huh? We'll cave pretty quick. Jesus never did. We've never really experienced the fullness of the power of the enemy's temptation. The enemy threw everything he had at Jesus, and yet he was triumphal. We have a God, we have a high priest, we have a Savior who understands our frailty, who understands our weakness and says, if you will trust in me, if you will trust in my love for you, if you will trust in my sacrifice for you, if you'll trust in my ability for you, my grace for you to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, if you will lean into that, then I will turn your weakness to strength. In fact, I will be your strength. Where you are weak, I will be strong. Not in my own ability, but in God's. And listen, this is where it comes from, guys. This is where it comes from. In light of all of that, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You mean I can come into God's presence with confidence? Why? Why do this? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How do we walk this out? How do we continue? We remember the grace of God. We live like God's word is true. We, we let it speak to us and, and determine our thinking, our emotions, our feelings, everything, because we know that we have a God who understands us. We know that we have a God who sympathizes with our weaknesses. We know we have a God that when we'll turn to him and trust in his ability and knowing that he is enough, knowing that he will be what he has to be for us in any given moment. And we lean into his ability, not our own. We find mercy. We find this grace, this power, God doing for us and in us and through us what we cannot do for ourselves, beginning with salvation, but not stopping until he completes his work. We begin to realize this, that God will do these things for us and we can now come because of our faith in Christ the righteous one we can come boldly into this throne of grace to this throne of grace and understand this and I want you to see this that we can come boldly to this throne of grace because the king of grace sits upon it this king of kings and lord of lords with all the power in the universe 
who came to us to reveal himself, to reveal God to us, full of grace and truth. He, he comes to us, and this is the God, the one who gave himself for us. This king of grace is the one who sits on this throne. And God's promise to us is, look, at any moment, at any time, you can come near to me. You can draw near to me. You can draw close to me. And you will find mercy. And you will find grace to strengthen you in your time of need. You are my child. And the Lord spoke this to me one day. I was struggling with some stuff my, myself. Uh, uh, my boys, you know, they're not perfect. They but, but look and understand this. The Lord spoke to me one day and he said, Brandon, I will not always be pleased with your choices, but I will always be pleased that you are my son. You can always come home. You can always come home. You can always come to me. You can confidently approach my throne of grace. Don't run away. But you come to your Father who's full of grace and truth, who will be what you cannot be. Susan told me something yesterday that, I'll be honest with you, kind of bothered me a little bit. Um, she said, you know what, next, next weekend is day, my oldest son, it's his last weekend at home. And then we, we move him to school. I did pretty good with the last football game, the last baseball game, graduation. I start thinking about that, and I'm like, ooh, right? Real sure how I'm going to do with that. But the one thing that I want him to know, the one thing I want my sons to know, and the one thing I want you today to know about your heavenly father is that you can always come home. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. You are going to screw things up. You are going to fail. But you can always come home. You can always come to the throne of grace. If you are in Christ, his door is always open. But you don't understand. I mean, I've sinned. I've done some really bad things. You know what? Turn from it. Go home. But this word is true. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Are there circumstances and, and, and things that are going to happen because of sin? 100%. Is God going to always be pleased with your behavior and your choices? No. But if you are in Christ by faith, God is always pleased that you are his daughter. God is always pleased that you are his son. And you can come home. You can go today before this throne of God's love and ability. Today, what if we began to live like this word is true? I believe this, we'd all experience freedom. What if for some of you today, you trusted Jesus with your life? You know what I believe? I believe you would experience life. And today that opportunity's here. 
I want to just preach about a message about coming to God's throne of grace without us taking opportunity for it. And understand, I know there's no throne in this room, but the Bible tells us we're already seated in heavenly places with Christ. So spiritually, we can come before Him. We can come and admit our need. We can come and admit our struggles, our sin, those things that bother us, those things that hinder us, those things that make us feel like we're used up washed up, those things that defile, those things that spoil. If you look up the word spoil, it literally means to damage something's value. And many of you live as though you're damaged goods. And I'm here to tell you today that the grace of God, if you are in Christ, is upon you. and You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And you have become a child of God, a part of this royal priesthood. Don't you dare look at yourself one more day, one more moment as damaged goods when you have been bought and paid for and adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ. I want an opportunity for us to pray. Um, time's about up, so in, in just a minute when we pray, if you need to leave, go ahead and leave. But the first thing I want to pray for is those who are here, you don't know Christ. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you know today, like, I, I need Christ. I need this. I need, I need to come alive. I need what Jesus offers. I need forgiveness. I want this relationship. I'm ready to surrender. Chris saying that I surrender all. I'm giving it to you, God. I need your love, your grace, your ability in my life. I've never had that before. I need it, Lord. Never put your faith in Christ, your trust in Jesus as your Savior, surrendering to Him as Lord. But today, the Lord is speaking to your heart and you're saying, God, I need this. We're, we're right out of time, but I, I, there's something that's been on my heart that I gotta, I gotta say, and I know this is the one that's recorded, and so I'm glad somebody can go back and watch it. But there's something that's haunted me for a while now that one day just came out of my mouth. And I remember I was talking with John Irvin, most of you know John, and it was a point of frustration and there were just some things going on with the church that it was just frustrating. And he was like, but Brandon, look at all the things that have happened. Look at all the salvations, look at all of this. And in a moment of frustration and that anger I told you about, I said, John, we can go out there and we can, we can preach and we can scream and yell and, and there'll be people who stand up. And even as I said that, I was like, what an idiot. To think that we can do anything to bring people to faith in Jesus so stupid so stupid I realize this today that if there's somebody here and you say yes to Christ it is because of a gift of faith that God has given you there's never been a moment that we could do anything that matters eternally apart from the Holy Spirit. 
But today, your spirit's being stirred by God's spirit. And you would say this, I need Christ. I need Jesus. Maybe you don't even fully grasp, like, what does that mean? And, and I don't know if any of us ever do fully grasp it. But I know this, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says that you are saved. The Bible says he'll fill us with, our, with his spirit. The Bible says he'll bring us to life. And I want you today to make that response if that's where you are. Today, you say, today is the day of salvation for me. And I'm saying yes to Jesus. The Spirit is drawing you. And this morning, I want you to take a very bold step of faith. I want you to stand to your feet and say, today I'm giving my life to Christ. Today is the day of salvation for me. I believe this. I felt like as I was saying that, the Lord prompted my heart that there's somebody here who you, you know it's you. you're so worried about what the people next to you are going to think. Who cares, right? Who cares? Here's the last thing I'll say is today you're in a place where you need God's ability to move. You need God's grace to move. And we want to pray for you. Listen, I'm going to pray. And then when I say amen, you're dismissed. Those who say, I need prayer today whatever it is, I want you to come forward and we're going to spend some time praying for each person. When I say amen, if, if, if for you, if you want to leave, you can exit. If you will, do it quietly. But I'm going to invite those who say, I need prayer. I need today to come before God's throne of grace. We want to pray for you. So I'm going to pray. You can move and come forward as I pray. When I'm done praying, you can leave. So glad you're here. So good to be back with you today. Lord, I thank you this morning for the truth of who you are. God, I thank you this morning for the forgiveness you offer us through Christ, for all the work that your grace has done. I thank you. Lord, I pray you would stir hearts to come before your throne of grace, not just now, Lord, but every day, every day, every moment that we would live before your throne of grace, trusting, Lord, in what you can do. 
living and relying on your love for us, the favor you've bestowed upon us that you've given, Lord. We love you, Father. Today we praise you for grace upon grace and that we can know you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. Hey, we're going to pray for uh, you if you want to come forward. want to pray. Otherwise, y'all have a great week. Uh, I hope to see you Wednesday night at the prayer time and next Sunday. God bless you.